So, um, yeah, God is faithful. Um, as Christians, we understand the story of our church is a part of a bigger story of what God is doing in our city and our world. And this morning, we begin a series in the Gospel of Mark and deepen our passion for God's glory as we celebrate our role in his story. Hear the word of God. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed and with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of God is Amen. Thank you, Laurel. Good morning, church. It is a joy to join you all in worship. Happy New Year. Welcome 2021. Uh, where did 2020 go? It's really amazing. Um, we're grateful to be here. And what an unbelievable heritage that we have as a congregation. 175 years in San Antonio in South Texas. Uh, there's just one word for that. It's old, right? I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. One word for God in that, and that's faithful. And as we begin this year, we're going to begin a new series, the, the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be situated in the Gospel of Mark for a while. It's only 16 chapters, and I'm going to encourage all of you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. But spend time in Mark with us on this journey. We're just going to go a piece at a time. Uh, and it, we're going to walk through this text this morning, verses 1 to 8. Now, John Mark uh, was not a disciple or apostle, but he did travel with Paul and early missionaries. And he was a scribe uh, for Peter in this uh, letter. So Peter uh, used Mark as, uh, as a scribe that wrote the gospel. And you can go to Acts chapter 10, and what most scholars believe is kind of the outline of the gospel of Mark. It's a sermon that Peter gave in the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile soldier uh, who is the window for the early church of, of God's fulfillment of his promises that the gospel is for all nations. It's a beautiful picture. And the sermon that Peter preached there, it's not real long, and it's followed with the Holy Spirit falling down upon uh, Cornelius's house. Uh, but it challenges Cornelius's family. It challenges them politically. It challenges them culturally. It challenges them ethnically. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful window into the large story of God's gospel, his story. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to be challenged in three ways as we study this passage. The first is, I'm going to ask you really three questions. Number one, do you believe that you're the greatest? You're going to be challenged in who's the greatest, the mightiest in your life, in your world. And you know, here's some cheat sheets. You can tell if you think you're the greatest by how you treat other people. Second, who is the worthiest? Who's the worthiest? And then thirdly, and not to meddle too much in your theology, but have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? These are things we're going to glean from our passage today, but before we study the word of the Lord, will you turn to the Lord of the word with me in prayer? Will you? Let's pray. Who are we, O oh God, that you speak to us, that you reveal yourself to us? You are the author, the sovereign author of the story. You are our Savior. You are the Spirit. And we ask as we, your people, humble ourselves before your word, we pray that you would speak to us. We don't want to be inspired. We want to be transformed. We want to be made more like you. And now we intentionally fast from the things of this world, our lives, our hearts, our passions, and focus on our ultimate passion, the treasure of our heart, and the king of this world. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. We feast on your word, and we ask you to fall upon us in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first thing that we're going to see in our passage, we're going to see three quick points today. And the first one is that the story of the gospel is really the story of all stories. It is the story of stories, and Mark makes this super clear right from the beginning. Look down at verse 1, a few key phrases. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning. This is a cosmic story. As Mark begins to write down Peter's gospel, he intentionally echoes creation. This is how scripture begins, in the beginning God. And this is where Mark begins, the beginning. He is linguistically and thematically tying the gospel of Jesus Christ to the cosmic story of which God himself is the author. But this is not only the stories of stories cosmically, it's also the story of stories culturally. In the beginning, the gospel. The gospel is a phrase that in Mark's day carried a lot of power and import. In fact, Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome, used the gospel as a way to announce the good news of his ascension to power. He called himself the son of God, a divine claim. And if you don't believe me, you can Google coins from Caesar Augustus and printed, minted on the coins under his image is son of God arrogance anyone? The gospel was the way that he announced the good news of his ascension. And so when Mark is tying this gospel, the story to the cosmic story of all creation in the universe, he is also providing a healthy dose of divine trash talk to the cultural powers 
of his day, namely political powers that are only derivative at their best. But thirdly, not only is it the cosmic story of stories and the cultural stories of stories, but it is also the covenantal stories of stories because he introduces Jesus as Jesus Christ. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. He is the Son of God, the one who was promised and foretold in the Old Testament. He has come to fulfill God's covenant promises. It is the story of stories. Interestingly, uh, in God's covenantal patience uh, in revealing himself as the true Son of God, no one in Mark's gospel gets that until the end. You can read through this gospel. I'd encourage you to do so. It really will probably take you about 45 minutes to read all 16 chapters, maybe an hour. It's worth that time. Uh, You can give it today or this week. You're going to find that nobody in the gospel until the end, chapter 15, verse 39, recognizes Jesus as the Son of God. This is the introduction that Mark gives. The closest you're going to come is Peter in Mark chapter 10. But it isn't until after Jesus dies, a Roman soldier, much like Cornelius, a Gentile, a non-Jew, sees Jesus for who he really is, the Son of God. And that highlights the covenant faithfulness of God because if you're like me, you can identify with disciples who just don't get it. As much as Jesus tries to reveal himself all through this gospel, they just don't get it. They don't understand it until after he dies. Highlighting the beauty of of God's relationship with his people. It's not based on whether or not you have the right answers. It's not based on your performance. It's based on the finished work of God made flesh who came to live the life that we could never live and die the death that we deserve to die. Through the cross, we get revelation of who God really is. So what does this mean for us? Well, cosmic story. And if you think about the story of life, do you see yourself as the subject of that story? Or do you see yourself as a subject of the king? Are you the hero of your story? Is life about you? Or is Jesus the hero? Because in the cosmic uh, story that is written for all the universe and all creation, not me nor I are at the center of that story. Jesus is. Secondly, do you see cultural powers? more powerful than the one who came, the true gospel, more powerful than any political party, any economic force, any government in all of history and all of time, any, anybody of the highest status you've ever met or of the greatest fame that you might know of, the most skilled person in your field, the smartest person you've ever met, they do not have the power that the Son of God has. It's all at best, deceitful. There is no God like our God. And we would be wise, frankly, to just repent and to quit fearing God, fearing humans above fearing God. If God is for us, who can stand against us? That's what Paul asked. Peter 
uh, Paul adds in Galatians 1, that we can't serve humans and Jesus at the same time. I mean, Jesus says that we can't have divided hearts. We can't serve two masters. So we're reminded of the, of the cultural story of stories. And finally, covenant. I mean, we've got to be a people who rest in the finished work and the faithfulness of God. It is through the cross of Christ that we really see the heart of God. This story of stories we're invited into and to find our place in. There's actually a science of stories. I don't know if you know this. In 2018, Princeton uh, actually did a study on how stories affect people. Listen, you, ever, you realize this. You, you remember a lot more of a story than you do of someone just talking, 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 right? And the reason is, is because neurologically, uh, we actually are more stimulated by stories. We physiologically connect and, and empathetically identify, and we feel caught up into the story. It's why God reveals himself and his word in story. It begins in creation in a garden. It ends in a city. It has a climax in the cross of Jesus Christ. It has villains and heroes and anti-heroes. It's a beautiful picture of the stories of stories. And we're invited to find our role, our emotional, physiological, uh, spiritual, uh, physical identity inside of God's story. And that's the next thing that we see in these following verses, beginning at verse 2, that there's actually stories within the story. And this is what we see in verse 2, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. The story that is within the story is fulfilled, actually it's foretold by the prophet. The prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 40. We read about it in our call to worship hundreds and hundreds of years before John the Baptist came on the scene. Now, sometimes we're reminded of being inside of a larger story. We're going to come to the communion table. And we're going to be reminded of the end of the story, that Christ will come again. We're reminded of the climax of the story, that he has come. And he's given us tangible signs and seals, means of grace to nourish us at this table. Other times, it's a little less dramatic, like the Nicene Creed. I mean, I do the Nicene Creed sometimes in worship, and I'm like, I didn't know I believed this much. This is long, right? I feel like when I do the Nicene Creed, just as a side note, I feel like I didn't realize how out of shape I was. You know, the Apostles' Creed got that, no problem. We get to the Nicene Creed, it's like, wow, are we all of a sudden in higher elevation? Why am I so short-winded in worship? It's so long. It's a lot. It's a long story. But God is the author. He holds the pen. And the story within the story, he foretold to the prophet Isaiah and fulfilled in the messenger, right? The messenger was John the Baptist. He was Elisha who went ahead of the Messiah. He was the one who prepared the way for the Son of God, his anointed king. John the Baptist is the last prophet in the Old Test of the Old Testament, Old Covenant. He's the first person to make a way for the Messiah. Now, in the wilderness, I don't know if John the Baptist believed like he was really inhabiting a story that was written for him, but I bet he did. I mean, how can any guy be secure enough to eat locusts, live in the desert, and wear camel hair like all the time, right? 
I'm just a, I'm just a messenger that came uh, to prepare a way. You know, maybe you read about me. No big deal, right? But like God wrote about me hundreds of years ago, I'm here. You're welcome. I don't know if he had that kind of arrogance. Probably not. He was probably more humble. But how do you feel if I told you that in a less clear way, but in an equivocal way, that God has written your story from before the foundation of the earth. Would you believe that? I mean, it's one thing to see the story within a story and say, wow, John the Baptist, he is the fulfillment of the prophecy that was foretold in Isaiah 40. That guy's phenomenal. But everybody has had their story written by the author of the story of stories. This is true. God is sovereign. And as often as we try to grab that pen and write our own story and determine it's not a choose-your-own-adventure, it's a surrender into the hand of a Father who loves you. Now, we celebrate 175 years as a congregation. That is unbelievable. What a gift, what heritage, what hope that we have. And we should celebrate it was 1846 when John McCulloch came west. He entered into the wilderness of the wild frontier of San Antonio. And he planted a church. He came to prepare a way, to make a way for Jesus to be recognized as king, as the son of God with the priority of translating scriptures into Spanish for the local folks here at the time. What a powerful picture of someone who obediently followed God's call. And I love the, the story of our church. We claim it as our church. Really, it's the city's first Protestant worship service, a frontier mentality out in the wilderness. It doesn't matter if you are Cornelius for, uh, from the Italian cohort, you know, a Gentile who hears the gospel. It doesn't matter what nation you're from, what socioeconomic status you're from. It doesn't matter what your ethnic, ethnicity is or your denomination is. What matters is who do you serve? Jesus is the king. In the first worship service that we claim as a congregation, John McCullough led as a Presbyterian minister in conjunction with an, a Methodist minister. And they had 11 people in their congregation for that worship service. Nine of them were Episcopalian. All right. If it, gets more ecumenical than that, let me know. So we take credit for that, but we have this celebration of the body of Christ in our city. And the truth is that it helps us to be honest with that because this is not about our church or us at all. God was working long before McCullough got here and he's going to be working long after you or I are here. This church will one day have a funeral, but Jesus has risen from the grave and will live forever. His mission continues to go forward. And we have the opportunity to be a part of his story of redemptive restoration. It is never about us. John the Baptist, uh, he was living the story written for him. First Prez, we're living the story written for us and you as individuals, 
You are living the story that God has written for you. You know how much dignity that gives you? It was foretold by the prophet, fulfilled by the messenger, and focused on the kingdom. Look at the message. John appeared, (laughs) I love that, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Repenting from our old kingdoms that we served. Repenting from the old stories that we found our identity in. Repenting from the cultural authorities that we have too long given our loyalties to. Repenting and being baptized and turning to seek first the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting if you read the account of John's baptisms in Luke chapter 3. It gives specific examples of people who were baptized, tax collectors and soldiers in particular. And in both cases, the tax collectors and the soldiers asked John the Baptist, now that we've been baptized, now that we've repented, what do we do? And John doesn't say, go to seminary. He doesn't say, now go become a vocational minister. He doesn't say, oh, now you can be a professional Christian. What he does say is don't collect any more taxes than you should. If you've taken from anybody, return it. He says, you go and you seek the kingdom and your sphere of influence and be a new kind of tax collector. A tax collector that has a different authority than your cultural authorities. A soldier that has a different authority than the rest of your soldiers, that you have a higher authority. Be a new kind of businessman, a new kind of husband, a new kind of neighbor, a new kind of mother, a new kind of friend, a new kind of citizen. Because when we seek first the kingdom of God, we know that all else will be added. We're not seeking to be the center of the story. We come to know the center of the story. We're ready to meet the one who John the Baptist prepared the way to meet. That's Jesus Christ, the son of God, the king of kings. And he's written us into his story. It's really a beautiful thing. And I wonder... If you see yourself with that kind of dignity in the story, I mean, do you believe that in 2021, God wants to use you to write his story of redemptive restoration? God wants to use you and your family to proclaim Jesus as king. God wants to use you in your business, you in your neighborhood, you in your school, He wants to use you to prepare the way in the wilderness. That is 2020. We don't know what's ahead, but we know who holds the pen. And the invitation is to repent and to serve him. Anybody need to repent today and be baptized? We see the story of stories, the story within his story, And now we see the climax of the story. John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
There is one who is greater than you. There is. More worthy, more mighty than you, than me. And if you know me well, you kind of chuckle inside. <laughs> it's like, I don't, you know, does he really believe he's not the greatest, the mightiest? Here's how we can tell who we think the greatest is, and I hinted at this in the beginning. How do you treat other people? It's interesting, when you get back to Mark chapter 10, uh, you see a a window into the tension that we have, a a tension of cultural authorities in our life and our own authority wanting to be the author of our own story, and Jesus revealing himself as the hero in the center of the story. It really is a perfect illustration for this passage. And uh, the disciples are walking down the road, they're walking behind Jesus, and they're arguing over something, and Jesus asked them what they're arguing over, and I'm sure they hung their heads because the answer was, they were arguing over who is the greatest. Can you imagine that? The apostles of Jesus. I mean, you've got to take comfort in that. The the disciples, they'd followed Jesus around for years at this point, and they're arguing over who's the greatest. And you know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't condemn them and say, you bumbling idiots, get out of my face. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't shame them. He teaches them. He says, look, the greatest in my kingdom is the servant of all. He says, don't think about power the way that the world thinks about it. The greatest is the least. The highest is the servant of all. He completely turns it upside down and then he uses himself as a picture of what a true hero of a story looks like. And he does so in a way that fulfills the ancient prophecy and focuses on the rule that is to come through him. He says the son of man, the son of man, going back to Daniel 7, the image of the prophecy of Jesus returning and every nation bowing and worshiping him. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He claims that Isaiah 53 prophecy. I'm the servant. I'm the one who it's the Lord's will to crush. I'm the one who will be wounded so that you could be healed. I'm the one who will be despised and rejected. I'm the one that will be beat beyond human recognition. That's me. And I came to be crushed so that you could be restored. I came to be the servant of all. Don't think about power and greatness and might by how many likes you have on your Instagram, by how many followers you have on Twitter. Don't think about your greatness and power by who knows your name and what kind of reputation you have in this world or how many zeros come after your salary or what zip code that you live in. Don't think about your greatness and power by how many people work for you. Don't think about your greatness and power by where you are alumni from or who you know. Don't think about your greatness and power by what party you're affiliated with. Think about your greatness and power by who you're associated with, the King of Kings that came to be the servant of all, the Son of Man who came to die. That's greatness. The lowest is the greatest, the servant of all. He's the real leader. He's the most worthy. 
That's what he says. Jesus, John says he's so worthy that he's not able even to untie the strap of his sandal. That's worthiness. You know why most people miss the worthiness of Jesus? We're so busy trying to prove our own worthiness. Have you fallen in that trap? You see, we all have stories, even as we're written into a story. And again, to the science of story, more psychologically, <laughs> mentally, and emotionally, that sometime when we were younger, we were born into an, an equilibrium of our life. And somewhere along the way, we were told that we're not great enough. So we spend our life trying to prove our greatness. Someone, in some way, somehow, in an inciting incident, communicated to us that we're not worthy. And so we spend our life trying to prove our own worthiness. And in the process, we miss the worthiness of the Lamb, the real healing and hope that we can have in life, the real equilibrium. And that's only going to happen. We're only going to find that when we can really surrender to the Lord. And finally, and we're going to talk about this more next week, but he, the third thing is there's one he comes, he baptizes in the Spirit. Now, if you haven't been baptized as a believer, we want to, we want to introduce you to Christ and we want to baptize you. And I was just with some guys yesterday and we were praying that on Easter sunrise that we'd have dozens of people that we could baptize in the name of Jesus. We pray that with us. We pray that the kingdom of God works through us in a way that people that don't know him as Savior would come to know him and that Easter Sunday morning we can celebrate that together. Will you pray that with us? I'm asking you a question, church. Will you pray that with me? Please, please pray it. There's this reality when we come to Christ that the Holy Spirit baptizes us internally. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 8 this, and Ephesians 1, that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that all the treasures of heaven and all the promises of God are ours. The Spirit that we're adopted as children by whom we cry, Abba, Father. But there's also this picture of a Holy Spirit, not just within us, but falling upon us. This is exactly what happened in Cornelius' house. That somehow that there is this mantle of God that is put upon his people, that anoints his people for power and the gifts that he's given them and purposes of advancing his kingdom in this world. Have you been baptized in the Spirit? Now, we're going to talk more about this next week when we look at Jesus' baptism, but today... I'm going to invite you to come to the table and feast on the hero of our story, God's story, his story of all of history. The story of stories. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to be man, to live a life that we couldn't live and die the death we deserve to die. This table, it isn't First Presbyterian Church's table. This is Jesus' table. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if he's your Lord and Savior, if you've been baptized into his church, then we invite you to come and feast on this table. And when you do, we have that opportunity to repent, to be nourished by his grace. In our unrighteousness, we come here and by his grace, we taste his righteousness. 
in our death, we come here and we taste his life. In our mortality, we come and taste his immortality. In our poverty, we taste the richness of his grace. We feast upon him, knowing that Jesus is locally present at the right hand of the Father. He's ascended into heaven, but he is spiritually present in this meal. And he wants to feed you with his grace. This is the beginning of this year. If you're in our overflow upstairs, we invite you to come on down. Uh, <laughs> sounded a little bit like a cultural icon there, Bob Barker. Come on down. We're going to come to this table, though, in all seriousness, because we can, we can be sure of the security that we have and the love of God, the, the significance that we find in the work of God, Jesus Christ, to be free from trying to prove our own worthiness, trying to prove our own greatness, because it was the night that the Son of God was betrayed, Jesus Christ, with the table of his betrayer. He took bread, and he broke it after giving thanks, and he said, this is my body given for you take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he says, this is the blood of my new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's finished work until he comes again. And church, there is a conclusion to this story. He will come again. All of heaven and all of earth will be consummated and become one, a new heaven and a new earth for all of God's people. For all who believe in Jesus Christ as Son of God, feast upon the eternal realities that are at this table. If you need to experience these eternal realities in a gluten-free manner, we have that too over there. But right now, let's pray together. Lord, these are common and ordinary elements. And we ask that you do extraordinary things through them. We pray that you would set them apart by the power of your Holy Spirit and nourish us with your grace. Feed us with your faithfulness. Baptize us with your spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this sacrament and pray for your blessing on it. In your name, amen.